0: On
2: a chilling evening in December 1989, a shadow loomed over Montreal's École Polytechnique. A sinister figure unleashed a horrifying act of violence, specifically targeting female students. The echoes of that night still resonate as a somber reminder of the darkness that can descend upon us, the most unsuspecting. I'm Nicole.
1: My name's Ben, and you're listening to... Wicked and
2: Grim, a true crime podcast.
1: The season. It's officially December.
2: It is. It is December 5th.
1: We posted a pretty funny meme that uh we put together on Instagram and Facebook today. It uh do you want do you want to re- recite it? Do you remember it?
2: I do remember it, but no more, not verbatim. It's your more it's more your thing, so fly okay. at her.
1: Well, I believe <laughs> off the top of my head, I believe it said something like uh it's the season for um true crime documentaries or Christmas, Christmas movies. movies. Either way, we're slaying or we're slaying. Mhm. Like a Santa's it Santa's funny. Yeah, it, it it was funny. Yeah.
2: But I was just like, "Ooh, Santa."
1: Yeah, Santa looks a little morbid in that post. <laughs> looks I built. It's scary. <laughs> so, you're doing today's episode.
2: I am. It's a I'm bit pumped. of a, it's a bit of a doozy, I'm not going to lie, but um, It's a Canadian
1: one, right? It is,
2: and it's been on my list for Sometime and we or I very strategically chose today to present it. Does and, it? And you'll know why soon enough.
1: Does it fit in with like Christmas then?
2: No, it's just the anniversary. Oh, okay. Anniversary date. Gotcha.
1: Because so. we're all trying to do like a bunch of Christmas stuff lately. So,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. We have a vlogmas going on on our YouTube channel. It's wild.
1: We do every day of December. We're, we're posting a vlog. So uh, we put our decorations up in the tiny home.
2: Yeah. Well, I, you did as a surprise. I surprised was you. so awesome. It looks so good.
1: Yeah. So our tiny home is all Christmas decorated up. We vlogged that. And we, <laughs> do you want to tell them the other oh, vlog we did yesterday?
2: Man, what a shit show that was. Um, We did a chicken photo shoot. So it consisted of us taking an individual, individual shot of each chicken with a little tiny Santa hat on their head.
1: Yep. So each one of our chickens got a little portrait with a Santa hat. And it was it
2: was about a hundred times more work than I think either of us anticipated,
1: yeah. and and it, you're probably picturing this right now as you're listening to this, just how you think it probably went <laughs> That's probably exactly what happened, yeah, honestly
2: yeah <laughs> it was fun though and the outcome was really cool yeah
1: we got some good photos though. we're going to be putting them up on our socials too so if you really want to check them out you can go ahead and check them out with yeah. the links in the description
2: there you go same
1: with the youtube you can go check out the vlogmas there
2: mm-hmm. yeah because there's lots more to come
1: yeah and there's also you can go ahead and check out patreon too if you if you want description link is there below yeah my, um, my sentence Sorry, i stumbled that
2: well we already have some of the chicken photos up on patreon so. we
1: do we do they got a a pre look
2: they always get yeah what would it be called first first on the scene
1: first on the no i, I mean if you want to say What's that it, guess what,
2: it's their get i don't even know shit this is gonna be they an get a sneak peek yeah i was thinking something else but oh man oh man
1: first responder I don't know. It's kind of the route you're going. First on the scene.
2: First look, I think. First look. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we do have one Patreon, one patron. One patron.
1: Oh, we yeah. had a patron sign up. And
2: week. I just wrote it on my notes um, rather than sending it to you. And we have our newest and greatest. No, they're all great. Uh, Dark Angel. <laughs> Dark Angel. Up. So thank you thank so much. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Appreciate you and everyone else out there, not just our patrons, just listening right now. You're awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much.
2: Everyone's freaking awesome. Tis the season to be awesome.
1: Tis the season for apparently a Canadian <gasps> massacre, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah. So today we're going to be chatting about the Ecole, which is school in French, uh, Polytechnique Massacre.
1: What does Polytechnique mean?
2: So, um... I don't know if that's also French, but basically it's an engineering school. Okay. Yeah. So over in uh, Montreal. Gotcha. Yeah. So we're going to be chatting about this. And, you know, it's, I just want to say, I guess a little warning is it is a school shooting, um, which is very hard um, to talk about. And it's, it's an issue that still is an issue today. So just to kind of trigger warning there that we will be talking about that, which it sucks that these kind of things happen big time.
1: hmm Definitely uh, does.
2: But yeah, so if that's if that's going to be triggering to you, then then we totally understand if you skip this episode. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: thank you for the heads up.
2: Yeah. Okay. So here we go. So Camille Garby. Oh, I have one more thing to say. Okay. This is Quebec. I'm not French. So uh, my pronunciation might be a little off, but you know what? We're just here doing our best. Okay, so Gamil Garbi was born on October 26, 1964 in Montreal, Quebec, to Rashad Lias Garbi and Monique Lapine. So Rashad was an Algerian immigrant who worked as a mutual fund salesman. Monique was a former Catholic nun, but had turned to nursing to support herself when she had left the convent. So after that, she met and married Washad, who was a non-practicing Muslim and raised her children or their children as Catholics. But she always said that Gamil had been born an atheist, which is a person who disbelieves or lacks belief in the existence of God or gods. Yeah. And there was nothing she could do to, ta- to change that. Gamil agreed, but a lack of faith was only... One of the many things that he lacked growing up because of his father's job, the family, they did move around a lot. But some of the places like Costa Rica and Puerto Rico, I feel like are pretty cool places to live. I wouldn't mind living there.
1: Yeah, Definitely warmer than somewhere like Quebec.
2: Yeah. So they lived there, places like that, for a few years before they moved back to Montreal in 1968 just before the stock market crashed and the family unfortunately suffered a great loss. Things had already been difficult for them, maybe not necessarily financially, but within the home. The father was a strict disciplinarian and he often punished both Monique and their children. So it was Gamil and Nadia, which was Gamil's sister. With everything that came... Was suddenly losing all their money, he seemed like he became even worse. I mean, probably the stress of it, right?
1: Probably. Yeah, Which it makes is sense. no
2: excuse, though. He'd always treated Monique like she was his servant, but now she had to act like his secretary as well. He'd have her typing out all of his documents, and he watched as she did this over her shoulder. And anytime she would make any sort of mistake, like a typing error, he hit her. Jeez. Yeah.
1: Wow, what a dick.
2: No kidding. Like, could you imagine? That would make me make way more mistakes. No kidding. I can't handle when I'm being watched while I'm working. As you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably just hit you back. Probably. Be like, Brah. So when the children were qu- were crying for her, he'd make her keep working and tell his family that she would only be spoiling the children if she paid them too much attention. So basically just like just don't even think about their needs kind of thing, which is really disturbing, actually. That is. This was especially true if Monique tried to show any love and affection to Camille, though, because the father believed that that was the worst thing that Monique could do for their son, and he got violent whenever he saw it happening. Basically, like, don't show love and affection, especially to a boy, I guess, right? What the fuck? Why? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Finally, in 1970, when Rashad ended up hitting Gamil in the face so hard that it left a bruise that lasted more than a week, Monique pulled the plug. She packed up the children and herself up and filed for a legal separation.
1: Good for her. That's not an easy thing to do. Oh, So good on her for having the strength to do that.
2: No. And I feel like, I mean, it's never an easy thing to do, but I feel like back then it might have even been harder.
1: Oh, I think so, too. the Because the view on everyone else, like, you know, it's like, you don't leave a relationship. Like, if you do, you're the problem. Like, all these fucked up things that have gone through, like, several decades of, like, marital... I don't know the words, but like marital point of view that anyone had in different generations.
2: Well, and then she also had a religious background, which adds a whole nother level, right? It certainly
1: does. A lot of people in the religious world, um, if they do leave a relationship like that, they'll get ostracized. Not only um, other family members, but like members of their commune in the church.
2: Yeah. She was like her, the family would turn their back could turn on their back i think they did actually i feel like i read something about that completely turned her their back on her
1: i wouldn't be surprised Gosh, seemed like that was way too common
2: yeah yeah that makes my heart hurt quite a bit actually um okay where were we here um and i should say too like we are chatting a little bit more about about the like problem person in this episode but sometimes that just happens right yeah Okay, so she was left with the house, which Rashad was supposed to be making the mortgage payments on, and also had full custody of the children. She had full custody of the children. Rashad had weekly supervised visitation rights, but they only lasted a few weeks after the legal separation became final. He, I think he went about not even really caring to see them. Uh, he also stopped paying the mortgage and only made child support payments twice before he cut all contact with his family. Gamil never heard from or spoke to his father again. So basically he just was done with them.
1: I mean, that might've been a little bit of a silver lining, if I'm being honest.
2: Well, yeah, if he was complete dank.
1: Yeah, if he's as abusive and controlling as he sounds, they they might've just well have been better off without someone like that in their life.
2: Well, yeah, they couldn't even be like alone with him. So what does that say? That's, that's brutal. That's scary as, Yeah, and that's your dad. That's someone that you're supposed to look up to and think is this powerful man and, like, I want to be like my dad kind of thing, right? And it's just like, oh, my gosh.
1: And it's so unfortunate that so many people these days don't have, like, a a paternal or maternal figure in their life they can look up to.
2: Yeah. So this was also pretty hard for Monique because suddenly she found herself without a home. She had no money coming in and two children to look after. She went back to nursing, and when the opportunity came up for her to take some courses and advance her career, she jumped on it, which is pretty cool. Hell yeah. But that also left things a bit tricky at home. She had to work during the day and then do the courses at night, right? Yeah. So at the time, Gamil was only about nine years old. Monique sent both Gamil and Nadia to live with other families during the week and had them come home on the weekend. Worried about what was going on in her children's lives when she wasn't there, she also contacted a psychiatrist to do an evaluation on them to see if they needed any extra support.
1: hmm Okay.
2: Gamil had always been a quiet, somewhat withdrawn child, but Nadia was loud, outspoken, and she didn't like people having authority over her. The psychi- psychiatrist said that Gamil was fine and recommended therapy for Nadia, though, so that she would kind of start listening to me Monique a little bit more.
1: Okay. Makes sense.
2: <laughs> yeah. But perhaps if that psychiatrist had been able to see into the future, they would have had known just how off the mark they'd been with the uh, meal. Uh Uh-oh. In 1976, Monique was finally done with her studies. She became the director of nursing at Montreal Hospital, which is pretty cool. No kidding. And was able to buy a nice middle-class home for her and her children to live in. But some of the damage was already done. Gamil academically did well in school, but he had a challenge with making friends. He didn't have any friends. Instead, he seemed to struggle with getting on with others, and the other students bullied him. They called him an Arab because of his name, which may have been one reason why he went about changing his name when he was 14 years old. Or it may have also been because he had this hatred towards his father, and he didn't want to be associated with him anymore.
1: Okay, interesting.
2: So it was after that, that Gamil Garbi became Mark Lapine. A name that would become part of a Canadian history in the worst of ways. That was his dark history. His
1: mom's maiden name, right? Yeah. Okay. So she
2: he wanted to be more associated with her. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna be from now on referring to him as Mark. But we before we get to that, Mark changing his name didn't help him get along better with the other children at school. When he hit puberty, it hit hard. And Mark unfortunately had to deal with a face full of acne. Which I can pretty much very much so relate to because I also had a face full of acne and it sucked big time.
1: I never had like a face full of acne, but I'd get like rather large individ- individual zits at times. Like I have this one that's kept coming back on the bridge of my nose and it sucked. Uh,
2: okay. Do you remember my acne?
1: Yes.
2: Uh, not really. No. 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 Right. Cool. That's good.
1: I don't think people really look back at their childhood and and they're like, hey, remember when you were in high school and you had a bunch of zits?
2: I know. But I I actually had it so bad that I had scarring for quite a while Mm -hmm. that I was like dealing with. So.
1: But I think like that acne is just like it seems so much more detrimental as a a young individual than it is when you're older. hundred
2: percent. Yeah. And this, of course, though, having a face full of acne, which is unfortunate, leads to more bullying. Right. Yeah. Fair. And things were also still broken at home. Mark and his sister didn't like each other, which isn't at all out of the normal.
1: Sibling rivalries, yeah.
2: But it definitely added to what Mark already had going on. Nadia publicly made fun of his acne and the fact that Mark had never had a girlfriend. Mark, this is bizarre to me, retaliated by digging and taunting Nadia with a grave he'd made just for her.
1: (laughs) Whoa! Which
2: I'm like, that is next level.
1: That is both A, hilarious, B, dark as fuck, and C, um very cynical, and I have a feeling to really kind of foreshadow what kind of person he is.
2: I know. I just, I can't even imagine. Like, I feel like growing up, if my sister had done that, I would just, I would think that she literally went off the deep end.
1: I kind of want to like do that to my sisters <laughs> now. It's like my sister pisses me off next just at like three in the morning. Just call her and she wakes up. What the fuck do you want? And I'm like, look out your window. Oh
2: my God. And I'm just
1: standing there with a grave dug.
2: That is terrifying. That is terrifying. So obviously he threatened to kill his sister and Nadia was removed from the home shortly after. But I don't know if it was necessarily removed because of Mark's threats. Like I'm sure that probably didn't help. Yeah. But she was also described as troubled and was placed in a home for troubled teens. She was still having issues with authority, but also picked up a drug habit that unfortunately was something that stuck. And later in life, at the age of 28, she would die from a cocaine overdose. Dang. Yeah. So that's super unfortunate. Um, So Mark was left in the house with his mother working long hours and his sister living elsewhere. So Monique enrolled Mark in a big brother program where Mark would spend two years with the same big brother, a man who was later detained under suspicious suspicions of molesting young boys. Um, oh, Which I just hate because it's like he had a, a terrible father. Now there's like the potential for another male role model in his life. And this happens. Mark has always denied that anything had happened between him and his big brother. But again, who can know for sure?
1: Hopefully he's... He's telling the truth and hopefully that is the case.
2: Yeah. Just so sick that someone puts themselves in that position to, I mean, being a big brother is like kind of a big deal. Like the big brothers, yeah. big sisters program. Right. And then, and then to, to go, to be in that program for that, like, oh, that is just so disturbing to me.
1: That's, that's about as nasty as you get. Yeah. If I'm being honest.
2: Yeah. Like Ugh, you think that okay. this person has a good heart and then, yeah, no. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, When Mark was 17, he tried to join the Canadian forces, but was rejected after his interview. His rejection letter stated that he'd been um, determined to be unsuitable, but Mark later went into more detail with a friend. Apparently, Mark also had an issue with authority, and the interviewers had also found him to be antisocial.
1: Okay, interesting.
2: Yeah. So that was the end of that career, I guess you could call it. But Mark got it together and started off on another track. He took pre-university courses and got a job at the hospital that his mother worked at to start making some extra money for himself. His colleagues found him to be a bit immature though and hyperactive. He always seemed to be on the edge and had a nervous energy about him. And that became even more so whenever he was around women. He apparently got very shy and awkward around them. And didn't really seem to know how to talk to them. He either said nothing to them at all, which is pretty awkward, or more awkwardly, he totally overcompensated and started talking too much.
1: I'm literally picturing Raj from the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> where he just could not talk to women unless he was drunk, and then even then he just like was way too much all the time.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good actually way of, just, of thinking about it. So he'd start telling them about how great he was and everything he accomplished in his life. And sounds never like me
1: when I'm drunk. Let them get a
2: word in edgewise. Does that still sound like him?
1: It sounds more like me. I have some drinks in me. Hey, everybody, I'm amazing. You want to hear all the stories about how great like I am?
2: That's you not having been drinking.
1: Wow, thank you.
2: You're just a confident person. There's nothing wrong with that.
1: I don't tell everyone how great I am when I'm sober, only when I'm drinking. <laughs> you tell me all
2: the time how great you are. Yeah,
1: it's different. <laughs>
2: Um, Mark then switched degrees and started doing a technical education in electronics technology. He did great in his classes until the final term of his program when he suddenly stopped showing up and ended up dropping out. He then moved out on his own and got his own apartment, applying to study engineering at Ecole Polytechnique. He was admitted on the condition that he took two extra classes to make up for some of the courses he was missing which didn't sit well with him. Things continued to not go in his favor. Fast forward one year, Mark would get fired from his job at the hospital for disrespecting his supervisors and aggressive behavior.
1: Well, you did say he didn't really like authorities or anything.
2: It was more so his sister, but I think that he also had issues with that too.
1: Well, you said when he was like uh, rejected from the Canadian forces, yeah. that was something that they said. It, he It came to light. He didn't like authorities or something.
2: Yeah. As well, like along with his sister kind of thing. I but think. I think it was more his sister that struggled with that. But I mean, just probably based on like the father they had. Yeah. That may have come from that. Hey?
1: V- most likely.
2: Yeah. Uh, Mark was furious and was going down a dark path. He later told people that he was so angry that he was going to commit a murder suicide inside the hospital hospital but everyone just took it as him kind of like blowing off steam. He didn't follow through on his plot, but those who knew him said that Mark became incredibly unpredictable after he was fired and would often fly into fits of rage whenever he became frustrated with something.
1: Wow. He's showing some some signs, eh? Hey?
2: Yeah, he's derailing. Yeah. Big time. So by the end of 1989, Mark was jobless, had failed every education he'd set out to get, Not necessarily like failed, but he quit, right? Mm -hmm. Which I guess, is that failing? I don't know. And he was angry, which brings us to December 6th, 1989.
1: Oh no. You always know it's bad when a certain date and or time is mentioned when it's like, oh, we're talking about this person's life. And then here's a very specific date. You know something well, is going down.
2: And my next line, a little after 4 p.m.
1: Oh, uh, see? There see? we go. A specific oh, time as well. It's
2: like, shit. So a little after 4 p.m., Mark entered the Ecole Polytechnique campus. He sat in the office of the registrar, rummaging through a plastic bag and ignoring everyone, even the staff member who came to ask if he needed any help with anything. Because, like, why the fuck was he just sitting there, right? But Mark, Mark was getting ready. In the bag was a Ruger Mini-14 rifle, rounds of ammunition, and a hunting knife. Jeez. He'd bought all of his supplies only a month before, saying that he planned on hunting small game, but that was anything but the truth.
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. He then left the registrar's office
2: and started walking around the building until he entered a mechanical engineering classroom that had about sixty students in it. One student was in the was up front giving a presentation, and Mark calmly walked up to join them. He stopped the presentation, pulled out his gun. And started giving out orders. He told all the men to line up on one side of the room and all the women on the other. Everyone initially thought it was some kind of joke because it was actually the last day of classes before exams started. Mm-hmm. So they're just thinking like someone's just doing a prank. Yeah. So no one actually listened until Mark got them to listen by firing a warning shot into the ceiling. Out of about 60 students, only nine of them were women. And Mark ordered them to wait on one side of the room while he told the men to get out of the room. When he had them alone, Mark turned to the women and simply asked them if they knew why they were there. The women didn't answer, but one of them asked Mark who he was. Instead of answering, Mark told the women that he was fighting feminism. The women were shocked and confused, and I'm sure also terrified, out of their minds, But one woman actually spoke up, Natalie Provost. Tried to calm the situation by telling Mark that he wasn't holding feminists at gunpoint. She told him that they were just women studying engineering, not feminists, but Mark disagreed with this. He opened fire, shouting, you're all feminists, as he he shot at the defenseless women in front of him. He hit all nine, killing six and wounding the other three. He killed Helene Colgan, Natalie Crotto, and Annie St. Arnolt, who were all 23 years of age. Barbara Dignault and Anne-Marie LeMay were both 22 years old and Sonia Pelletier, 28 years old.
1: Wow. So this guy's a right dick.
2: Oh, yeah. More so. Wow. Like it's just unfathomable to me.
1: To just be like, no, you are this and I am fighting that. What kind of self-righteous prick do you think you are? Yeah. Like, holy fuck.
2: Like, it's so disgusting. Um, So as the women were left wounded and dying on the classroom floor, Mark started walking around. He wrote the word shit twice on one of the students' projects before leaving the classroom and heading down the hall. As he wandered through the halls, he wounded three more students on his way to another classroom, where he burst through the door and held his gun up to another woman. He pulled the trigger, but his gun didn't go off. He pulled it again, and the same thing happened, so he actually left this classroom to reload. Once that was done, he tried to get back into it, but by then the students had locked him out. He fired three shots at the lock, but he couldn't break through, so he moved on. Whoever he was aiming to, I feel like has like. Wow. Like Like an unbelievable guardian angel or something, hey? Wow,
1: no kidding. For that gun to jam like that.
2: What did it jam or was he just out?
1: It probably would have jammed by the sound of it. Yeah. Because, I mean, he would have known if he was out. Yeah. So So. I'm not 100% sure. but.
2: But still, like, honestly, very like guardian angel, but also the trauma that would still be associated with. Having a guy drawn on the PTSD
1: from that would be real, especially considering, I mean, many people would probably question like, why was I the one to live? Yeah. Like what, why did these people die? But I get to live not to say that it's anyone's fault. Like you should not be sitting here questioning why was I the one to get to live? But some people like in a PTSD moment will start thinking that way. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's terrible.
2: Yep. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like, this whole scene is just, it gives me goosebumps and it makes me ill to my stomach. Yeah,
1: I can't blame you for that.
2: Uh, So he headed into the school's financial services office where he found Maurice Legonier, a 23-year-old budget clerk. So she wasn't a student but yet an employee. She had heard the shots and saw what was happening, so she locked the door to try to keep Mark out. Unfortunately, though, the door she just locked had a window, so Mark was able to aim and shoot her through it. Oh, fuck. Maurice was a newlywed. She was married for three months before her death, and her husband, Jeff, had come to pick her up at the school that night and was met with the chaos. Apparently, there's, like, it's seen on a news footage or whatever, him, like, searching... The crowd or like searching the people that are coming out in stretchers and stuff. Oh
1: man, that is absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, Oh
2: I know. I know. I didn't write that in here because I was (laughs) like, maybe I won't say it, but came out because it just yeah. I like that
1: is gut-wrenching. Yeah,
2: to be in that situation, hey. Wow. So Mark then moved to the cafeteria where about a hundred students and staff are gathered.
1: Oh fuck this guy. Holy. I'm sorry. This guy, he makes me mad. Oh, yeah. Very much so.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think his favorite word is shit. Well, he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Without saying a word, Mark lifted his gun and shot nursing student Barbara Klusnik and wounded another before people realized what the fuck was happening and all hell broke loose. Barbara was the oldest of the victims at 31 years old, and her story sucks. Um, her and her husband had moved to Montreal from Poland in 1987, and they believed that Canada to be like the safest place in the world. So they chose, oh, no. they chose it. Um, and she wasn't an engineering student. She was a nursing student, like I said, but apparently her and her husband were in the cafeteria, that cafeteria, cause it was like the least expensive on campus or something. <sighs> Man. Oh, which I, oh, I just, I hate shit like that.
1: That breaks my heart.
2: Yeah. Oh. And it never really said, but I do think that her husband was like with her there. Like it from, and no one, it never really said it in the reports, but you could kind of tell. So I can't like to, to be there witnessing that like, geez. Um, people either fled the room or tried to find somewhere to, to hide. Two of the women who stayed were 21-year-old students, Anne-Marie Edward, who was a chemical engineering student, and Genevieve Bergeron, a civil engineering student. They were hiding along with two other students, one male and one female, but Mark saw them first. He shot and killed both Anne-Marie and Genevieve before ordering the other two students to come out from under the table. They listened, and for whatever reason, Mark decided to let them live before he moved on. He then headed to the third floor where he shot and wounded one female and two more male students before he entered yet another classroom. As he entered the classroom, he told the men to get out as he turned to Maurice Leclerc, who was at the front of the class giving a presentation. Without hesitation, he shot her wounding her before moving on to the students sitting in the front row. He shot and killed 29-year-old Maud Havernick and 21-year-old Michelle Richard as they desperately tried to flee the room with others hiding under their desks. Mark moved through the classroom targeting the female students. He wounded three more and then killed 21-year-old Annie Turcott. He then reloaded and headed to the front of the class, shooting in any direction he felt like. When he got there, Maurice, who he wounded just earlier, was still alive and asking for help. So Mark pulled out his hunting knife and stabbed her three times, killing his last victim. Wow. She was 23 years old. Wow. Yeah.
1: Not only is this dude like absolutely blatantly sexist, but oh, I don't even know how to put it into words. The lack of remorse he has for human life boggles my mind. Yeah. Someone's pleading for your for help and instead of even I'm just playing devil's advocate here, because he has a gun in his hand just ending their life with a bullet to the head he decides he wants to revel in stabbing her to death to yeah. finish the job. That right there speaks so much about what kind of person this guy is. Mm-hmm. We can go off and say how much of a dirtbag and piece of shit this guy is, but that right there says so much.
2: Yep. And the thing is too, like, he, it was reported that he was so calm and stuff through all of this process, right? Like this mm-hmm. wasn't phasing him, which is just, bizarre like oh my gosh now the really shitty thing though about um, Maurice here she would later be found by her father who was part of the Montreal police force oh no he immediately recognized her sweater which she had worn to Sunday dinner the week before saying she had purchased it for Christmas
1: oh man yeah everything about this just keeps tugging at the heartstrings holy shit I
2: know It is so disturbing.
1: Like I just like look at my sweater, Dad. I I bought
2: this for Christmas. Oh, Ben, don't.
1: I bought this for Christmas this year, Dad. Like, what do you think? It's Sunday dinner. Yeah. And then because of like holy shit, the scene that's painted in my head with that.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) I I feel like I'm just gonna sob here. Um, So Mark then took off his hat, wrapped his coat around his gun, and shouted, oh, shit, before he shot himself in the head. His rampage had lasted only 20 minutes from start to finish, leaving 14 people injured, 10 being women and four men, and another 14 women dead.
1: Holy.
2: 28 people.
1: That's wild. Wild.
2: And that's not even to mention all the people that are affected, not necessarily with an injury, but with like
1: the PTSD PTSD and stuff that we're already talking about. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It became known as the Montreal Massacre and sent shockwaves through Quebec, the rest of Canada, and I'm sure the world.
1: Understandably so. I'm sitting here shook right now from just hearing it. Yeah. And this is how many years later? Yeah. Ah, wow.
2: So, in the days and weeks that followed, there was widespread public debate focused on the cause of and motive for the attack. Some people felt the actions of this shooter was an isolated incident, incident with any, without any social significance, emphasizing the shooter's abuse as a child. For others, it revealed a profound angst against the place of women in society. Many suggested that the tragedy was indicative of people not supporting equality for women.
1: Now I certainly think that there's probably something regarding his childhood at play. You can't sit here and tell me that it doesn't have any factor.
2: Oh, well, I mean with many of our cases there's always yeah. stuff from the past, right? Whether
1: it's like a 0.01% uh factor in it or like a 100% factor. I don't that's completely up for well, debate, of course.
2: His dad hated women.
1: Yeah, I know. So. But I mean, that's what I mean. It's just, we don't know how much it played into mm-hmm. factor, but he is also, how old was he when he left, his family left his dad too, right?
2: Oh no, I think he was a bit older than that.
1: But how old was he?
2: Oh gosh, I'd have was to he scroll an, back. Like, was he a teenager
1: remember. at the point? No. Yeah, exactly. No.
2: He was under 10 for sure.
1: So he probably would have been naive enough and like his mom would have raised him much better than what his father was, clearly. So I don't think it would have had as, like, a huge impact, I think it would have had an impact. But I think not only was it his father impacting him, but I think there was a lot to do with who he was.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: If that makes sense.
2: Yeah. And then I also feel like, I mean, he had issues with, with – against feminists or whatever you want to say. But that doesn't mean, like, that everyone as a whole did, right, necessarily? But yeah. I know back in the day, like – There really there was still issues. There still is today with equality. Right. So, yeah, Yeah, that's true. um, As people desperately tried to piece together the reason behind Mark's madness that day, some answers were found in a suicide letter that was later found. I was going to read it, but then I decided, like, fuck him. Like, I'm not reading his fucking letter on here. I just couldn't do it.
1: Fair enough. You don't want to perpetuate yeah. those words. I,
2: I had it written in here and I was just like, no, this just doesn't feel right. So I'm just going to summarize it.
1: Power on you for that. Hell yeah.
2: Yeah. Because like, fuck him. He quoted his rejection from the military and claimed that feminists had ruined his life. He said that women were flooding the job market, making it harder for men like himself to find a job. And they were trying to have all the advantages of being a man and a woman. A woman. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> with the letter was a list though, was set with 19 names, 19 women who he said would have been killed had he not run out of ta- time and started earlier. It included the names of well-known Quebec women, including a journalist, union leader, politician, TV personality, and six police officers. Making it very clear Mark's motive for the attack, obviously. I think we already know.
1: Yeah, this is honestly akin to a child throwing a hissy fit, not getting his way.
2: Yeah, he had an issue with basically that he couldn't get into that engineering school. But it was literally, the issue was that he just needed two other courses. Yeah. That's just a known thing that sometimes you have to have like university, I can't remember what they're called, but prereqs or something.
1: Yeah, prerequisites, yeah. To
2: get in. Right. Had he done those two courses, he would have fucking got in.
1: Yeah. Had he done his work, like the women. Yeah. Who did their work and got in, he would have been right there with them. But us. he
2: thought that those women were taking his place. No. But no, dude, it was just that you needed to get your fucking shit together.
1: So. Those women were doing far better than he was and he was pissed off about it. Yeah. That's what it is. He was throwing a hissy fit because he was not as good at.
2: As them. As them. They were far better.
1: Yeah. And he had some fucking complex where he figured that they should just be lower than him no matter what, because he's a piece of shit.
2: Yeah. The incident led to more strict gun control laws in Canada and increased action to end violence against women. It also resulted in changes in emergency or services protocols and shootings. Because, I mean, I don't know if they had dealt with a lot of this. So there were like a few issues where... People kind of thought the police should enter far quicker than they did. So, I mean, it did. They changed protocols. And I know in future shootings, it was helpful. Um, And then the reason why I did this case is because tomorrow marks the 34th anniversary of the the attack. Oh, really? December 6th is a recognized day of remembrance in Canada, declared to be a national day of remembrance remembrance and action on violence against women
1: i've never heard of this day
2: see and i think i mean
1: i'm sure i probably in passing saw it on the news the or something reason like that, i think but,
2: i have is because i used to work at a university right yeah. and then i know every day uh like december 6th there would be some sort of um ceremony if you call it and the other thing is lots of times men And women, I think too, can wear a white ribbon and it's just sort of, it can also be a white ribbon day or whatever. And it's just kind of like they're, they're, you know, standing against violence against women as well.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. See, i worked in a predominantly male dominated environment in a sawmill for the last 16 years. So I rarely even had female coworkers. So that's not something we really talked about, I guess.
2: Yeah. So I know it, it does seem, I think the only reason I really know about it is be from working at a university well, and we recognized it. So I'm
1: glad to have known to know about it now though. Like I, wow.
2: Yeah. Like that is, it's just researching that is just gut wrenching because I mean, it was quite a while ago, but it still happens constantly. The shootings and stuff in schools or, or like religious places and. Yeah, I just, it's so hard to even fathom that we have that sort of thing happening.
1: It's, and how often these shootings occur too. Yeah. It, it blows my mind and it's so sad. So sad. Yeah. Even if you look like, if you scroll on TikTok or Instagram, I bet you you're going to, within the hour, run into a reel on like school safety with shootings. Uh like I've seen videos on how to lock a door with a chair and like what to do in the event of and and backpacks that are made of Kevlar and shit, like just to protect you from running away. It's like I can't believe kids have to worry about this.
2: I know. And I don't necessarily think when we were in school that we had any sort of drills like that. It was always like earthquake which we never get earthquakes in Prince George really. Well, they're very minor, so it's a bit odd.
1: Well, I mean, I'm sure we one day may, but, but
2: I'm wondering now in schools if that's changed and they're they're also prepared for like much worse things happening potentially. I,
1: I can imagine they are.
2: So, yeah. One of the, (laughs) I was just going to say, you just look just drained.
1: I am drained. That drained Uh, me big time.
2: Yeah. You look like you need to go to bed.
1: Usually I'm ready and prepared with a heavy episode like this because I'm drinking whiskey already. You didn't warn me and I didn't have a whiskey. So now I'm screwed (laughs) and I need to pour a whiskey after this.
2: Well, two more things. I'll just say they're not my notes, but one of the links below, um, lists, it has like a picture of each of the 14 people that were 14 women that were killed and then you can click on their picture and like learn a little bit more about them and there were other victims though too because of course um there were students later that had killed them or committed suicide i think a father had committed suicide oh no so i mean we talk about the the day and the victims from the day, but there are just so many more afterwards. Um, yeah.
1: The chain of events goes a lot farther. He affected so many more people's lives. I can only imagine how, how many.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, well, I mean, look at how many people lost children that day, lost spouses.
1: Well, you you ha- literally have the the primary victims who lost their life. Then you have those injured. Then you have those who were around them witnesses and witnesses, and then you have first responders, and you have the family, and you have the even the news people who were there taking photos, or the cameraman who was seeing these b- body after body come out of this school, or yeah. someone who was like, "I was attending that school next semester," and I. Like that could have been me yeah, or someone who lives just down the street or someone who just worked with this guy or the dude who even sold him the gun.
2: Yeah. Like the list goes on. There was actually one, um, there was a photo too. It was just like unbelievable. Um, I won't be posting it, but it was this photo that a reporter, I think, like got lifted up and like shot into the cafeteria. And it was like award-winning photo Um, because there is a woman who was killed, slumped in a chair, and then like an officer taking down a Christmas decoration behind her.
1: Oh, wow.
2: And so the loved ones, like this got published and stuff. So the loved ones saw this, which is just, oh my gosh.
1: That is... Quite the image. Holy Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, uh, yeah, it's just so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. Some of these cases are so uncomfortable.
1: They truly are. And I can't imagine getting in the mind of some of the people who commit these crimes. Yeah. It baffles me what drives them to really go this far. Because for me, I'm like, I don't know. I feel bad if I accidentally step on my dog's paw and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm the worst person in the world. And then it's like someone just can so coldly take people's lives.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like what the fuck?
2: Yeah. I mean, these were all like beautiful, intelligent. A lot of them were just about to graduate. Like, yeah. you know, starting their The lives, lives they could have led. Yeah. Yeah. We never even talked about that. Yeah. jeez.
1: Wow. Well, good job on the episode and the research, babe. That was. Yeah. That was, that was heavy.
2: It was, it's a heavy, it's a heavy one for sure. It is. Yeah.
1: Well, um, we just want to thank you guys for sticking through this. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Uh, If you want to check out any of our links, they are in the description of this podcast, like our YouTube with, we have the vlogmas going on, Mm -hmm. um, our Instagram, Facebook, Patreon. It's all down there. Feel free to check it out. And if you're just here, not checking those out, that's cool too. We seriously appreciate you. You guys are absolutely wicked.
2: That's totally fine. Yeah. So yeah, until next Tuesday.
1: Stay wicked.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more